0: Today on The Black Goat, we talk about the year in review, notable things that we did in 2018, and a letter about when to stick it out in a job and when to try to leave. Hi everybody, and welcome to The Black Goat. My name is Sanjay Srivastava. I'm here as always with Samin Vizier and Alexa Tullet. And we're recording this just before Christmas, but this episode's going to come out on Boxing Day. Boxing so, Day. Alexa, do you have big plans for Boxing Day? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, no, I do not have big plans for Boxing Day. Um, is Boxing
0: Day actually a big deal in Canada?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a mini version of Black Friday or whatever. Like, there are okay. lots of Boxing Day sales and people go shopping and that kind of thing. Um, is that
0: mostly what it is? Do people do... I, I know nothing about Boxing Day. Like, do are there, like... Is it just about shopping or do people actually, like, commemorate it in some way? So
1: I I'm really, like, embarrassed that I can't answer this question because I literally <laughs> had this conversation with someone, like, two days ago. I was like, what is Boxing Day? And I think that they answered me... And I still can't give you an answer. So either I didn't pay attention to what they said or what they said was so, like, the story of Boxing Day is so unremarkable that I immediately discarded the information.
0: Um, Well, I I think that does answer the question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think there was something about, like, it's a British tradition somehow, but I don't, like, I don't know what the history is.
0: So you you haven't... You haven't brought Boxing Day over with you to Alabama. You're not, like, getting all your friends to do Boxing Day stuff.
1: I often send my friends happy Boxing Day texts, but that's what <laughs> <laughs> You're an imposter. You don't you send the text, you don't know what it means. That's true. That's true for many Boxing things. Day imposter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you guys going well, to do guys... go on Boxing Day? I'm going <laughs> to listen to our podcast. That's oh, Yeah. Like... <laughs>
2: I have a few work meetings on Boxing Day. I actually, I had various people email me and like apologetically ask if I could like Skype with them about a work thing like next week, and I was like, "Sure. How about the twenty fourth, the twenty fifth, the twenty sixth? Like, what's good for you?" <laughs> 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 no one took how me. How about on the twenty fourth or twenty fifth? Yeah. Yeah. Not Festivus because that's an but, important day.
0: Yeah, you can't can't schedule anything although I might
2: put a blog post up on Festivus that's related to the airing of the grievances I haven't decided (laughs) for sure if I'll do it (laughs) isn't isn't that every blog post that's true (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah I'm I'll be uh in Pennsylvania with uh with my family and we we do not celebrate Boxing Day but I guess when this comes out I will be in recovery from uh, Christmas eating and merriment and all that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are you guys... Where are you guys right now? In your regular homes, I guess. I'm in I guess Palo, you guys Palo Alto right now.
2: My mom's okay. house. So, so I'm going back a... and forth between Palo Alto and Davis over break. Uh, my mom and I will eat Chinese food either in Palo Alto or Davis on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I'll, I'm going to spend a lot of quality time with my mom. Okay. And then nice. I'm going to visit you. Yeah, you.
1: that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can um, postpone Boxing Day until you come. <laughs> okay. We can <Samin> celebrate. <laughs> Maybe by then we'll know what we're supposed to do. <laughs> I'll research it.
0: No, wait, it doesn't involve actual boxing, does it? Like fisticuffs?
1: Um, well, I think that this the version that Samina and I celebrate will involve actual boxing,
0: sport. <laughs> uh-huh it can be it can be like a delayed festivus celebration right because there's the feats of strength on festivus
1: i almost regret talking about this because now i want to like make up a fake explanation (laughs) for boxing day and try to post it on wikipedia (laughs) i've heard that that's hard to do though like as soon as you like create fake like information it just gets like corrected immediately by bots or something
2: it's amazing actually that's very i don't think they're bots that happens is it people that do it i'm pretty sure
0: like human editors yeah. who, who watch. So somebody's yeah. sitting there
1: watching the Boxing Day <laughs> page and they're like, wait, that's like, they just wait for me to add false information. I don't
0: know. That's that's a big change from how Wikipedia used to be, right? Because it, it really used to be a thing where you could like put fake stuff on there as a prank or just like bad information would sit there a long time. Like I, I remember, this was a way long time ago. I remember like trying to this was like my only stab at trying to get involved in wikipedia and uh trying to edit like the page about personality i think or something like that and uh <laughs> there was somebody that insisted on spelling extroversion with an o mm-hmm. and uh um and I, I got into this like stupid edit war with the extroversion with an o person i was like no you don't understand like in academic psychology that's not how you spell it and they're like well Isn't that's how a i want to spell it
2: american thing no
0: it's a I think the Jungians Uh, um, spell it with an O hmm. Uh, um, but anyway yeah and I was like okay fuck this I'm not doing this anymore (laughs) somehow it always comes back to personality with you guys (laughs) (laughs) I know I know uh
1: I or used to spell uh, extra version with an O. That's my confession. I'm gonna go into
2: Wikipedia and add two spaces after every period. <laughs> that's
0: gonna be my thing. <laughs> the bots will destroy you for uh, that. That's, uh, that's an
2: easy one to automate. Yeah. Oh, I just submitted a grant proposal and I had to go through and find and replace every two spaces because I was like it was like a tight word limit situation and it actually like
0: made a difference.
2: It was funny. But it, it hurt my soul a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that's funny. Well, should we uh, should we read our letter? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So the our letter this week is a little bit long, but I think it's all interesting. So, um, so here we go. Hey, all. I was wondering what your thoughts are about knowing when a place of work is the one. I am currently tenure track and feel pretty confident about my ability to get tenure. I love my department and students, and our dean is generally supportive and has shown this in meaningful ways. I feel like I have a lot to contribute and have the potential in time to be a big fish in a small pond. I have become actively involved in the campus community, and I think I could push for important changes. There are some red flags though. I was hired to do a specific thing, and now the expectations are changing in a way that I don't like. I'm also involved in some diversity-related initiatives and have been told that this could make my life challenging, and when I brought this up to an administrator, I wasn't comforted by the answer I got. Lastly, there's some increasingly micromanaging stuff coming down the pipeline from administration, which makes me feel less like a professor and more like a cog in a machine. I know no place is perfect, so it's hard for me to know if these things are are just things academics deal with and I should shut up and be grateful for what I do have, or if these are reasons to potentially move on. And if I do decide to move on, when should that be? Thanks for hearing me out. Sincerely, a Waffler. Great question generally, right? The question of like when you yeah, yeah it's
2: interesting because I want to respond to specific I want to like give this person like really direct advice but I think it's more interesting to answer the more general question
1: I mean maybe we could do both what's your what's your um, very specific advice that you want to give I, yeah I'm curious
2: what you guys think my My gut feeling about this is that this sounds like a pretty good job yeah and I think the, definitely the, the like balance of good and bad that this person describes sounds better than most jobs I know of and have heard of and so on and I think the stuff that so- that, th- that they describe as being the downsides if they're confident they're going to get tenure then those things would be relatively possible to manage either by just not not doing the things you don't want to do if like the administration's giving you you know <laughs> busy work or whatever there might be mm-hmm. ways to just not do it um, or like if they're, uh, the expectations of you are changing in a way you don't like, but you still feel like confident that you can get tenure, that doesn't sound too bad. Like maybe you can just try to reshift back to what you want the expectations to be. Um, so overall, I would say this doesn't sound like a situation where I would say run or uh, definitely look for another job. And then I guess as moving a little bit more towards general advice, but my impression is that people who move because they decide they want to move. That's harder. Like I think most people who move, it's like some an opportunity comes up that they and they hadn't particularly been looking and then those things tend to be have a higher chance of turning into an actual job offer and so on. But if it's the applicant taking the initiative and sending applications and you're already tenure track or tenured, I think the odds of finding something better
1: are lower, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that this person says that they love their department and students seems really good already. Um, and that might be a dispositional thing about this person. They might love their department and students wherever they go. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, those would be, like, the things that I would look for in a place, like, to decide whether or not a job was the one. Like, I would be looking for, are there people that I want to work with? Do, you know, do I like the students? Um, and I agree with you, Samine, although, I again, like, if it were just me responding to this, I wouldn't necessarily trust my response But the things that that seem like red flags um, seem like things that are like manageable and relatively um, typical of people's experience. But I'm I'm in a very similar situation to this person, I think, actually, Um, there are a few things that I don't like about um, my job also. But I think like. Yeah, I think this description could describe my job fairly well, but in, in my case, I think the positives far outweigh the, the negatives. Like I don't really have um, have a desire to be looking for a new new job.
0: Yeah, I think for me, the, the, <clears throat> the one thing that I think tips me over towards thinking it's okay is when the letter writer says, you know, that they've been actively involved in the campus and they say, I think I could push for important yeah. changes. I think that, because like people not, supporting diversity work for example is unfortunately like pretty common Mm -hmm. um and and so moving moving to another academic institution for that seems like that would be that that would be a tough one to find a better institution that's going to have all these other things going for it and it is possible that as you move through your career and if you do think that you can make important changes that can be one of the kinds of changes that that you make right Mm -hmm. um the, you know, the micromanaging stuff feels like it really depends, you know, but I mean, some of that is true everywhere. And and again, sometimes, you know, sometimes there are things you can potentially someday do about it. You know, I do my, my I guess my hesitation is I, I feel a little different than you to mean about the possibility of moving in the sense that I think before you get tenure, it is a lot easier to move. Like, I think a lot of times, you can apply for any position that says assistant professor and there are more there are way more of those and even way way more real ones right so when you see positions that are open rank or that are are you know uh, um, associate or full kinds of positions they're rare but also when they do crop up a lot of times uh, it's not unusual that a department already has someone in mind but they're required to conduct a search um mm-hmm. and so the the odds might be against you um and so so that that is a tough thing is like you're you know like once you have tenure, I think being able to move is is much more limited to sort of you know and there's a few things that that kind of make that possible. one is having funding because that tends to those kinds of decisions tend to involve a department lobbying with senior administrators and and they tend to respond a lot more to dollar signs, those kinds of things um you know so there there's this kind of like upper echelon of people that bring in big grants or have other things going for them that are constantly threatening to move around but uh below that it it sort of gets tough so i um that that does give me a little bit of hesitation and i think if if someone was describing like I, I would say I would put, and this is what tips me back I, again. I guess is that I would put the people that you interact with day to day in your immediate surroundings as the people that are going to be most relevant to your well-being. Right. So it's not that the other stuff is irrelevant, but if you feel like you like the you know your department and your students, um, that that is your sort of daily experience. And if it's like administrators being you know jerks or being you know, whatever like that, but you still feel like you can, you can do good work that I think helps.
1: Yeah. Just, um, to go back to what you said about the diversity stuff, Sanjay, I feel like if you're in a a place that might be challenging to be pushing for diversity related, um, changes, there's sort of a catch 22, because if you're in a place that there are no challenges to pushing forward with diversity related changes, then they're probably a place that doesn't need you as much. Right. So, like you, there's potentially more possibility for you to have an impact in a place that um, that it's going to be more challenging to make those changes. And I I think about those kinds of thing kinds of things a lot with respect to myself as well. So, like sometimes I think that it's like it can be more unpleasant to be in a place where like some of the values of the administration or like of the you know of the students or whatever are not in line with your own. But also if you think that like they're important ways that you can push for positive changes, um, then it might be good for you to be there even though you might not always feel like totally at home.
2: Yeah, I mean I think the vibe I get from this letter is a sense of agency and I think that's special and not that easy to find and so I would say that's a strong reason not to try too hard to leave and I think there's a difference between actively looking and trying to leave versus being open to it sure like if a job ad comes mm-hmm. across your desk that looks really appealing to you I think that's always almost always worth spending some time thinking about um but yeah I guess I wouldn't The situation doesn't strike me as one where it's clear that this person should put a lot of effort into trying to leave but I also agree with Sanjay that I think moving before tenure is a lot easier I know people who say that they don't think that's true but it seems so obvious to me that in the U.S. at least um, moving before tenure is is more similar to applying for jobs in the first place when you're finishing your training whereas trying to move after tenure is a whole different ballgame with like way more politics and insider knowledge and back channels and and I don't think it works that often
1: when people yeah. say that it's not more difficult do they mean like if you already have tenure you could get a an assistant position somewhere else because otherwise it seems they mean. obvious that it's harder yeah. there's just fewer associate I, positions
0: i think that i think what happens is that it bifurcates and so the the mean like for most people it's harder but then for a few people it gets really easy right so if you're you know, if, if you're somebody that has lots of big grants and a, a really prominent reputation, then you're going to be constantly, people are going to be trying to poach you and move you around and all that. And for those people, yeah, it, it might get even easier because they, they're they sort of gaining in reputation and stature and that kind of thing. But I think that's like institutions are, you know, they're trying to, to poach the top Five or ten percent grant getters and and those kinds of things, um, and and the rest the rest of people who do good work at least as good work but aren't sort of doing those things that make administrators' eyes light up, um, just aren't getting pursued in, as often in the same way. And so I, I I do think that the the people that say that that might be true to their experience, but they're not doing a good job of sort of generalizing or understanding what happens to most people.
2: Yeah, I think another interesting part of this question is whether there's such a thing as like a job that feels pretty much perfect. And there's a parallel question with relationships. It's like the million dollar question. (laughs) Like if, if you're in a situation that's like pretty good, should you like wonder if there's something better out there? And I think even more with jobs and with relationships, I'm quite convinced the answer is no, there's really not a job that is going to feel like the one and where you're going to be like, everything lines up. All of my major check check boxes are checked. And I, I don't, I think that's extremely rare if it exists at all with jobs.
0: Yeah, I I would say, yeah, I mean, I think the the parallel also, right, like real relationships, you have to put work into them to make them work, they don't just happen. And and that's, I think that's somewhat what we're saying, like the fact that this person has agency suggests that they might be able to do that with their job. You know, I, I would also say that it, it could be worth considering looking at other jobs as leverage right so we yeah. we tend to think of moving jobs either because you actually want to go or to get more salary but you can also potentially get leverage for other kinds of things right so if i mean it may be hard to get like <laughs> freedom from administrative micromanagement mm-hmm. but things like um i have this other offer well what would it take you to stay well i want my diversity work to be recognized or i want you know, I don't want like I don't want you to top off my startup. Instead, I want a, a you know a grad student line for someone to do this work with me, or I want a, a stipend or a pool of resources or something, um, or you know this thing that I was hired to do that you're no longer asking me to do. I want to be put back in, in doing that um, because that was something that was a really important part of my work. So so I you know I would say that could be a reason to to consider looking would be to see you know and and you can kind of do it doesn't have to be either or right like you can be looking for jobs that you think might have as good or better working conditions but you can also be thinking as part of that that if they're at least close and you get an interview that gives you some leverage not necessarily just over salary but over working conditions as well
2: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: i mean i've definitely seen people do that where they they ask for resources for projects that they want to work on that may or may not be research-related. Sometimes they are. Sometimes it's just there. there's this thing that I want to do, um, and I want, you know, some kind of support for it. So I, I do think that that's possible. And you can definitely, like, having an outside offer um, and a, a sort of a credible external offer can get the attention of people who otherwise would have overlooked you. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is a really interesting question, though. I think in general, like when when to be looking and when to be satisfied with what you have is that yeah,
1: that could be like a whole podcast episode. (laughs) Yeah, right
0: (laughs) about relationships and jobs, and I mean another thing that this is this is probably well beyond the letter, and and this might be worth talking about if we have that. But like, I feel like people aren't yet. I'm I'm not hearing about a lot of cases of people having outside offers that are non-academic jobs like I I I hear more and more about people sometimes even people with tenure people pretty far along in their careers making the leap Mm
1: -hmm. to
0: industry or nonprofits or other places um I and I don't know in those cases because it hasn't been someone I've been really close to yet like what kind of negotiation or whatever goes on but I do wonder if that you know, and th- this may or may not apply to this particular letter writer, but if you're in that kind of a situation, I wonder if that's a thing that's going to start happening more where someone says, hey, you know, I, uh, um, you know, goes to their department chair or their dean and says, hey, I have this offer from, and it's, uh, you know, not a, a university, it's somewhere else, if if universities are going to start taking that seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah cool cool well uh yeah do you guys have anything else to add
1: i don't think so no nope.
0: okay great well, question thank you yeah. yes thank you a waffler for your uh for your question i hope we helped you um and folks listening if you would like to email us a letter for us to possibly read and answer on a future episode or just feedback or information you want to share with us you can email us letters at blackgoatpodcast.com. Um, you can uh find us on twitter we're at black goat pod you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash black goat pod we're on instagram instagram.com slash black goat pod i think we have a new as of when we're recording today picture of samin with a goat um which that seems to be our main instagram content is whenever one of us runs into a goat we take a picture and put it up there um but uh maybe, i don't know maybe we'll put some holiday pictures up there or something um and uh, yeah, thank you for listening, um, uh, everyone who listens. We we love to hear from people and we really appreciate everyone who takes the time to give us feedback or just who listens and enjoys the podcast. We really appreciate having people listen to us. Um, so with that, let's turn to our main topic for today. And we did this last year as well, kind of a, a year in review talking about sort of noteworthy events or things that happened to us over the last year. And so we thought it would be fun to try doing that again. And I guess, Alexa, do you want to kick us off?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so when we decided to do the year in review episode, um, actually this is like five minutes before we started recording, I was like, (laughs) I should look through my photos (laughs) and and see what happened to me this year. Um... And so I did that and I made some like notes about, you know, like what stood out as like themes and what happened to me or like actual events that happened. I have a question. Do you take photos
2: of your papers that you write and things like that? Or is this going to be like a purely (laughs) (laughs) non-professional? You know, like how people take photos of their food. Maybe you'd be like, paper, I'm going to submit. Click.
1: what is what do you think the answer is <laughs> i'm just pointing
2: one. out that we're not going to hear about all your professional highlights of the year because you probably that is, didn't take pictures of them
1: that is very true um well i took pictures of uh, an expensive tequila shot that i drank after i got tenure does that count yeah <laughs> so you just need to mark
2: all your professional <laughs> milestones with tequila shots that you take pictures of and then you won't yeah. forget them
1: this is this is related to, to some of the things that have changed for me this year. Um, so, okay, so I think that the overall theme of these pictures is that I'm becoming like an increasingly stereotypical example of my demographic. Um, so like, uh, but I feel like I came about, like I came to it honestly, which I think is probably how everybody feels about being, being very stereotypical. Um, so like this year I have... Um, one thing that I never had before, I, I sometimes I take pictures of books that I'm reading and like on your this is extremely inefficient, but on your iPhone, you can like take a picture of a page of a book and you can underline things. Um, so rather than like writing in a book, sometimes I'll do that, and sometimes I send them to people. Um, which is a reflection of the fact that like this year I started reading books, which I really like had not been doing almost at all before that, like n- non-academic books. Um, and, um, it turns out like reading books is extremely enjoyable. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but like, it has like enhanced my enjoyment of life a lot. Um, and now I can talk about books with people and I just, um, I feel like I'm more respectable human being. Uh, I also, there's like pictures of recipes and things that I've cooked, which I think I've done more this year. Um, I think both of these things might be related to the fact that I started dating Riley this year, um, which is also, again, a very stereotypical thing. Like I'm like in a like a normal relationship or whatever. So when you say Um, your demographic,
2: you mean adults? (laughs) No, I
1: specifically mean like like 33 year old women, Um, because I mean, I also like uh, I guess like my like working out stuff is like pretty stereotypical for a 33-year-old woman, and, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just regular adults. But some of the stuff feels very much like I'm getting old. Mm. Uh, So despite my tequila shot, I think that I drank much less this year than I have in the past, Um, which is a reflection of the fact that my body can no longer handle drinking. Um, which was, we we were talking, we were talking at the beginning about whether we wanted to structure this as like, just like chronological or high points and low points and stuff like that. And I, suffice it to say there was one karaoke filled night that was like too much for my liver to handle. Um, so So
0: you're you're saying your low point was literally a hangover (laughs) (laughs) see this is
1: what i was worried about (laughs) there's nothing douchier than saying that your low point of the year was having a bad hangover (laughs) it was a symbol Um, (laughs) a symbolic hangover (laughs) exactly (laughs) um yeah i guess i got i got tenure this year um but i've sort of already talked about that a bit on the podcast Um, but I think that's been something that has had a significant impact on my life, both in the way that I described initially, which was this, like, you no longer have this, this negative thing hanging over you or this thing that causes anxiety, or at least it did for me. Um, but I do notice that in professional contexts, it comes to mind for me. So like situations where I might have been like, maybe nervous too, do something, like, coming back to our letter, like, ignoring something micromanaging or whatever. Like, I might be more likely to do that. I'm, you know, just, like, a little bit less, um, yeah, less, like, worried and feeling like I need to be really careful about what I do. Which, I think, maybe I wasn't super prone to being like that before, but now I'm even less <laughs> like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that probably... Has had an impact. Um, I got I got a tattoo, but I've also talked... I mean, everybody already knows what happens <laughs> yeah. to me this year. <laughs> um, uh, I went on a pretty big trip for me. So I went to um, Croatia and Denmark and California. Mostly with Samin, except for the Denmark part. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I took... I think I took more photos this year than I've ever taken, um, which I find myself like more and more. I I want to say that like I I became more interested in like making art, but there's no evidence of that. Maybe I should save that for next year. It's <laughs> like it's gonna happen though. Like I <laughs> like I almost I'm almost at that point. Um, I have a plan with my friend Jillian for an art project starting in January. Um, and then the other, well, the other thing that I sort of noted, which I didn't, I didn't really like, this isn't something that I would necessarily have picked up on from my photos, but I think, I think I'm becoming increasingly sentimental, which I think is also getting older. <laughs> um, but, uh, I like, so this year I'm home for longer than, than usual, um, because I like really miss my family and like I was really sentimental about my Aunt Junie. I, maybe sentimental is the wrong word, but it is partly sentimental. Like, I was sad about my Aunt Junie dying, but also, like, the things that, like, make me really emotional are thinking about, like, like what a nice lady she was. See, I can't even talk. I'm <laughs> getting, like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, I've become a sentimental person. I cry at commercials, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, I don't know.
0: Do you think
2: that's age? It's interesting, yeah.
0: I, yeah, I noticed, I noticed a huge leap when I became a parent in in that, that. um, but, uh, yeah, it could be just coincidence that I'm, I'm also getting older.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard people say it about becoming a parent and it, I mean, that seems to make sense to me. Like, uh, would you say like you understand why parenthood would have had that effect?
0: You know, it's a good question because I, um, I mean, I definitely had, I remember I have this very distinct memory of shortly after my son was born, driving in my car and some story came on NPR that was about like children being mistreated. And I like, I literally couldn't listen to Uh the story. I I had to turn off the radio and it, it, it hit me in a really personal way. Um, that that I would have been fine previously listening to something like that, and so that made me start thinking it's connected to parenthood. But then, it's just other shit too that like I cry at movies, I cry at songs, I cry like and, <laughs> and I. You guys are before, so weird before no I was I was a fucking stone before my son like I never cried at a movie I think in my entire life until my son was born and now it's just like fucking comes out and and not necessarily things with like themes of childhood or parenting or that sort of thing um and so so that's what makes me wonder like it, it it's not always like content wise a connection but then I don't know if it's just like becoming a parent just sort of changed me in a more broad way Um, or yeah, like you said, maybe, maybe it's just about getting older and it just coincided. I don't think it's just getting older. I don't know. I don't think I've experienced this change. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: I don't know uh, why, like, because yeah, I don't have like a, an event like having a child. Um, but I've noticed a difference for sure. I think this year, I mean, I think it has to do with relationships like so i think it might be that like so your like protective instinct um over lincoln i think maybe there's like a version of that that i feel about my family or something like that um even though it's not in the same kind of like like actual caregiver kind of way um i don't i don't know how how it extends to like I haven't thought about like what kinds of things make me make me cry like lame commercials and stuff like that what kind of content they have <laughs> um but yeah i just generally feel like uh they're sappier huh
0: <laughs> yeah that's funny i i feel like i in my case like my interests have not gotten sappier like i don't want all of a sudden want to watch hallmark movies or any of that kind of stuff it's just it'll sort of hit me right um things that i would have probably felt emotional about before but just the sort of like it's it's sometimes it's more intense and sometimes it's just like crying and sort of other expressions come out more Uh i don't know
1: yeah so I mean, Samina's acting like such a hard-ass right no, now. No, I'm but... not.
2: I'm so not a hard-ass because I can't even listen to music. So, like, music doesn't make me cry because I just don't listen to music because I feel like my emotions are way too vulnerable.
1: I was going to say, I feel like you and I had a conversation once over dinner about our dads where we just, like, both started crying for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> we were just like, dads are so great. Yeah.
2: Well, so last week I was in D.C. and I my brother – works from home outside of dc but his office is in dc so he's there once in a while and i called him just to catch up and he was like oh i'm in dc this week and i I was like so excited that we were gonna get to like meet up for an hour for a drink or whatever um and it made me realize like how numb i am most of the time because i don't think spontaneously about my brother and how cool it would be if i could see him and just have a drink with him mm-hmm. but when it happened i was so happy that it makes me realize like how much of my emotions i suppress most of the time <laughs> uh-huh Right. Yeah. But I I've, I've stuck with the suppression whereas you guys have gotten in touch with your emotions or something.
0: Yeah, the damn broke or something. Mm, I don't know what.
1: Mm.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So Alexa, I um you actually stole one of the ones on my list. Uh maybe this is a, a way to transition. I, I like I was having trouble thinking what I was going to talk about too for the year in review and and when I was making notes, I liter- literally wrote down started reading again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said too yeah it was like um I I realized that I had gotten into this habit um of like in the evening when like you know my son's to bed and the house is quiet and everything I was just sitting in bed scrolling Twitter and browsing the internet and getting zero value out of it and just kind of like marking time until it was time to go to sleep um And I was like, fuck, this is, and so not, it was at some point, not very long ago this year, um, I was like, I, like, I can't keep doing this. This is just like, this is not restorative. This is not refreshing time. This is, I'm just like brain dead. And so, um, so I actually blocked Twitter on my phone, um, so that I wouldn't habitually just fire it up um so I was like okay if I if I want to check Twitter I have to like go and get my laptop that sits in a different room and blah 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 so I can't just sit in bed and and I was like I'm going to start reading again um and uh um so I've gotten I, I'm mostly reading I'm reading a lot of science fiction because mm-hmm. that's kind of that's always been my pleasure reading um and uh yeah so anyway but so I wanted to ask Alexa what uh maybe like what, what's a book or two that you read this year that sort of stands out to you?
1: Oh, that's, um, that's a good question. So, uh, I've started reading the Elena Ferrante series, which I'm like on the third book of, um, which are, so I'm really bad at like naming genres of books. Like to me, this is just like a regular novel. Like it's a novel about real people. There's nothing like science fiction or fantasy about it. Um, it's basically the story of. It's actually now the subject of an HBO series, which I think came out in um, November, called My Brilliant Friend. Um, but it's like the story of the story of this woman who um, grew up in Italy, and it's basically like an extremely long narrative written from her perspective about her life. And there's speculations about whether it's like autobiographical or not. I believe, but I don't know the details. Um, so I'm like really into that series.
0: So I I literally just heard about that. That's so funny this morning.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it was because I saw on Twitter somebody linked to a story in Jezebel mm-hmm. that was uh, basically the, it was written by a, a lesbian who was uh, the the it was very well written and I'm not going to do it any justice by encapsulating it this way but the theme of this article was basically why don't they just fuck already yeah right 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 uh it was sort of like because i guess people have talked about this in in i don't know some kind of like uh sort of relationshipy kind of terms anyway it was a very funny article um but it's it's funny because i i'd not heard of it before and i literally just heard about it this morning and then that's um, super funny yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so like the main like the main storyline is about a female friendship um and this is again making me feel like, I'm I feel extremely like stereotypical t- of my demographic. <laughs> like, I feel like marketers marketers would be like, I know exactly what she wants to buy right now. Yeah,
2: I feel like we yeah. talked about this on the
1: podcast, no? Maybe not.
0: Did we? Maybe I didn't recognize the it. Or, need, yeah. or, or Oh, did but, we? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, did we talk about reading? Maybe. I don't know. I think that we're going to get to a point where we <laughs> yeah, or
2: repeat just repeat we're just repeating ourselves.
1: We're just going to, yeah, Sorry, we're doing listeners. the same
0: podcast over and over again. <laughs> yeah, no, The um the the what you're saying about like the stereotypical i remember i've probably told this story before when i was in grad school or sorry when i was in my postdoc um we were uh there were a couple of uh honor students in the lab who were um trying to develop new film stimuli to make people sad and it was these two they were both women and they kept pre-testing relationship movies like fried green tom- women's yeah. relationship with women movies like fried green tomato kind of movies and uh And every time they'd do this, they'd come back and they'd say, we looked at the pilot data and none of the men felt sad. And I'd Uh be like, of course, (laughs) like Uh (laughs) college age boys don't care about like Susan Sarandon's friendship with whoever she had a friendship with in whatever movie she Uh had. And and so eventually... Gina Davis, come on. Okay. uh, No, no, it wasn't. I don't think they used that one. It was some other. Anyway, whatever. But yeah. No, but eventually it was like, okay, it needs to be like animals dying because everyone... (laughs) You know, so like you know there's some scene in the Lion King and you know whatever, and you know, yeah, so anyway, yeah, so you are uh, sorry to say mm-hmm. you you are a thirty three year old woman mm-hmm.
1: like <laughs> yep uh,
0: well should i should I do a couple of them? i I already sort of alluded to like yeah, reading again, which i've I've been I've been enjoying doing and, and uh, yeah, I guess the big for me year in review kind of thing was that I had a sabbatical. Um, So March, April, June, I was in LA with my family. And, you know, sabbaticals are, we sort of like, I feel like a lot of people in academia have kind of like guilt about sabbaticals as like, because it is in some ways this It's this really cool thing that we get that a lot of people in most other professions don't get. Um, But on the other hand, I feel like we kind of sometimes we underplay the actual value of it, like the fact that we're in a creative profession um, and that exposure to new ideas and new environments is really important for the kind of work that we do um and that so that was that was kind of my <laughs> experience of sabbatical it was both the like the guilt inducing like I really enjoyed living in LA and being there um you know uh and just taking advantage of living in this cool place um but at the same time like it was really like intellectually stimulating and valuable for my work so i was uh at usc they were very kind and, and, you know, set me up with an office and invited me to their brown bags and things like that. And, and Morteza Degani was my sort of main contact person there. And and he invited me to his lab meetings. And, and, you know, I just learned a ton about some of the stuff that they're doing, you know, with using, you know, sort of doing stuff with social media data that um, Morteza, who has a sort of dual background in psychology and computer science and his lab is split between those two departments and and they just do really cool amazing work um and so so it was like cool in that way I got to learn from it um and then uh, you know on the flip side like we you know my family like we just enjoyed the hell out of living in LA and it was not like we were not living life at a sustainable pace either like economically or like breathing wise. Like we, you know, it's like LA is a really expensive place to live, especially like we decided we were only there for three months. And so we're like, okay, we're going to live, you know, in, we lived in Silver Lake, which is like, you know, sort of close to the, the center of LA. It's a really good location, but it's, you know, if, if we were actually living there, we would not live in Silver Lake because we were in this like, tiny, tiny little like 700 square foot apartment um, that we barely fit into. But we just did so much stuff there. And so I have all these great memories of like, you know, taking my son all over LA and LA is an amazing city. And I, I feel like I was conditioned to hate LA when I lived in Northern California, because that's kind of like, there's there's sort of the the one-way rivalry where like people in San Francisco and the Bay Area sort of hate on LA and then people in LA are like who um <laughs> but uh yeah so so i just you know um we we you know lived it up in in Los Angeles and so that was that was definitely like a, a you know a big sort of memorable experience um yeah and then i mean other you know, I mean, I already mentioned sort of, you know, the reading stuff. I mean, the other thing that's been noteworthy to me this year is I feel like I'm someone who is, I'm just sort of naturally prone to ups and downs in things that I do. And and this year, because we had this really positive experience in LA and everything, and I've, I feel like my ups and downs have been swingier than usual, just in terms of like, Um, and it's no, like, this is no, um, negative against my current job or where I live, but just sort of, you know, it, it highlighted for me, like, you know, um, I think when I was younger, I loved traveling and did a lot of it and, and, you know, living a nomadic lifestyle and sort of being exposed to new experiences is a a thing that I really enjoy, but like, being a professor is not like you get sabbaticals and you get to use them, but it's other than that, it's an extremely stable kind of thing. And I just, I'm, I'm somebody that's prone to always questioning what I'm doing. And so there's always a part of my mind that's wondering like, should I just bail on this thing and go do something totally different? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, I, I think about that, super regularly in a way that you're not supposed to or you're not supposed to admit to mm-hmm. in this line of work that maybe maybe more people than let on do it um yeah and 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 also you know having I mean you know I had tenure but having gotten promoted to full also sort of prompted some reflection on like how do I want to shape the rest of my career for the next 20 plus years like you know what are the things that I actually enjoy doing and what are the things that I could try to get rid of for my job? Because I feel like there's often, there's this one model, and I've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast as well as offline to you guys. There's this one model of what you're supposed to be like as as a sort of, quote-unquote, successful academic. Or maybe there's two models, right? There's this sort of, like, big-shot PI model, and then there's the kind of, like, go-into-administration model or whatever. Um, and, like, trying to figure out, do I want to cram myself into one of those two molds or maybe there's one or two others or do I want to like try to figure out a different path for myself and sort of like take the parts of this work that I really love and you know figure out what of the other stuff like what do I have to do and can't get rid of but what what could I um Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah I was listening to um the uh um Ezra Klein podcast the other day um, he's the former editor in chief of Vox, the the website, and and I and I emphasize former because he he was talking to someone about um, and the the person was kind of turning some of the questions back on him and and so Ezra Klein was talking about how like he stepped down from this editor in chief role because he found that um, so much more of his time was being taken with like operations of running a large media organization and less and less of it was the creative work. That he really wanted to do, and the sort of intellectually stimulating work that he wanted to do. And you know that's, that was something that I, that really sort of struck home to me is like so much of what we do is, you know in terms of running a lab is like operations, and, and so much of what we do in our jobs more generally is like administration and service and things like that, And not all of which is fun, um, but which has to get done and you know just sort of trying to think like is there some way to reorganize like is that does that is that just how it has to be or is there some way to reorganize so that I'm you know I could be doing more of what I want to be doing and maybe a little less of what I don't want to be doing um yeah
1: when you um imagine like when you sort of like fantasize about just like leaving it all behind and doing something else um what do you think about
0: well, that's the thing if, if i could get specific enough i would probably do it so. well i don't know like i
1: like i like thinking about like moving to a different country and there's like a few different countries that i like imagine or uh i don't know they're like maybe some vague things but they're like that doesn't mean it's like a concrete plan that i could actually execute
0: yeah you know i um it's a good question i mean you know the the things the things that i really enjoy about what i do are not not necessarily things that like all sort of fit together into a job description or into a life description right so you know i really in terms of research like i really enjoy sort of the like design and analysis but the really sort of intellectually engaged parts with with the actual substantive question like how do you turn a question into A study and how do you learn from it um and the sort of meta science stuff of like how should we structure a field to be progressing in important ways and and those kinds of things i also you know i enjoy podcasting Mm -hmm. i enjoy you know i enjoy some of the more sort of performance parts of the job like teaching um uh and you know i say perform and we've talked before about performance uh, in in a sort of positive way the way of like communicating and connecting with people um so yeah i'm not sure what that all would look like sort of slotted together and then you know what i don't enjoy is like feeling like i'm constantly behind on a million things um you know keeping you know keeping track of fine details of of little things And, and nobody Well, I mean, some people enjoy that stuff and very few people really enjoy that. And so I understand that's just like part of the job, but yeah.
2: It's interesting that you say like our our jobs are really like have a lot of stability because I feel like they have more flexibility than many other jobs. Like Mm -hmm. it's true that we act as if we kind of have to do these managey things, but actually I'm not sure. Like I think if if you think outside the box enough, you can kind of recreate what at least like 40% of our day-to-day job entails like there's a big chunk that's kind of up to us to shape I think that's more true than in some other professions
0: yeah maybe yeah yeah I think I mean some of that is like this is what I have difficulty with it's like there's some stuff that you have to have to do and then there's some stuff that you just if you care about what other people think and expect of you that you in that sense have to do that you you could get away with not doing yeah but you'd have to be you know sort of gruff or or difficult or whatever to avoid doing yeah yeah anyway that's my year is Samoes, that our segue you? to Samin, Grump's yeah. Difficult? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of going to sound like it when I start talking. Um, our Alexa to Sanjay Smith transition or, was reading, and our Sanjay to Samin <laughs> is uh, <Disagreeableness>. being difficult.
2: <laughs> um, so I have to start with a disclaimer. I know this is lame, but uh, there's big things in my life that I can't talk about because of external circumstances, and I feel super <laughs> awkward because it's not in my nature to not be transparent, so I apologize. <laughs> It'll be probably obvious at some point in the future. Um, Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So I think the biggest thing in my life, especially listening to you, Sanjay, and this is going to sound so much like I'm rubbing it in, but I feel like I, for the first time in my career, got to a point where I'm not doing too many things and I'm not doing that many things I don't like. Um, and it, it took, I think I started at the beginning of the year, um, quitting things and saying no to things. And I did it a lot this year and it was so self-reinforcing. Like I would like deliberate about backing out of something or quitting something or saying no to something. And not because I was afraid of like the social consequences because I really wanted to do the thing, but I also wanted to not do the thing. And then I, like I, the first couple times I did it, it was so immediately, like a positive feeling that then I like started being more bold about, about doing it. And so now I'm finally at a place where I think I'm literally caught up on everything. I can think of one big deadline that I missed like three years ago that I'm still hoping I'll (laughs) get around to. And then my email inbox, of course, but like other than that, I I think for the first time, in as long as I can remember, um, I feel like I've cut a lot of the stuff I don't like about my job out and I'm doing mostly things i want to do and part of that is i have a much smaller lab than i have in the past so like I, there were times when i was uh had five graduate students and in the thick of a data collection project and that that wasn't the kind of day-to-day life i wanted to have now i i had i had one for half the year and now i have two um we're not exactly collecting data we have a lot of undergraduates but we're working on a more manageable part of phase of the research project um and i that made time for things like editing which i love and find so gratifying and that was like a, a weird left turn that my like, professional life took when i started editing i was like oh there's this new thing that's now part of my job description and i love it and it didn't exist before so it also makes me optimistic that there could be other unforeseen twists and turns in my career that will bring me different kinds of meaning and and um, gratif- gratification um So those are kind of, I think, the, like, big themes for my year. I feel, I feel, yeah, really excited to have kind of cleaned, cleared my slate, and I'm, like, feel like I could think about, yeah, kind of also what you're saying, Sanjay, about, like, becoming a full professor makes me think about, okay, if I have, like, a lot of agency over my job now, like, what, what do I want to do with that? Um, and I also, while well, I was supposed to be on sabbatical and then I wasn't, and that this is maybe related to the letter writer's concerns about administration doing things that are concerning sometimes, um, those things happen. And, um, but I think part of my being able to catch up is because of the extra time from my quasi sabbatical, um, other things that have happened this year, um, Well, Bear died back in February. That was an interesting experience. Like, I guess I got pretty sentimental about that. For three days, I would just cry randomly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the only time in my life where I felt that way. Like, I've been depressed and I've been depressed enough to, like, cry in private, but I've never cried publicly, like, over and over again for three Mm -hmm. days. (laughs) That was weird. Um, So it was an interesting experience, like, grief and, I mean, in a a pretty contained way because it didn't last that long and I'm sure it's very different than some other kinds of grief um another kind of big thing this year was I spent a month in Paris in the summer as a visiting person there and that was amazing I loved it I loved being on my own in a new place for a month and like I didn't know very many people um that's also when I cut my hair so it was like kind of a big turning point in many ways I think for me um and um Croatia was really fun. Um, It was fun to be there during the World Cup. And then I think one really fun memory I have from Croatia is kind of random, but um, I was supposed to meet with my graduate student one day and then another friend suggested we take a trip. And so we combined it. So me and my graduate student and a friend went, took a boat to this island and then rented bikes and biked to this donkey sanctuary. But it actually turned out that it was much, much further than we thought and it was completely exhausting and I felt like I was going to die. So it turned out to be this like really fun, weird, spontaneous adventure that was a really nice memory from this year. Um, Then I got my dog Hugo. Um, That was nice. I visited my alma mater Carlton for the first time since I graduated like 18 years ago. Um, And that was, that actually made me a little bit sentimental. Um, I didn't expect it to affect me. I don't, think that much about the past I didn't think I'd be nostalgic but it did hit me pretty hard in a good way like I was like I'm actually really glad I went here and it was nice to be able to come back and tell my parents like you know that really expensive school I went to that you had never heard of and you didn't understand why I wanted to go to (laughs) I think it shaped me in important ways Mm -hmm. um so that was cool um and then I went to Australia and that was really awesome um and yeah I think that's it and then the last month has been having a persistent cough. That's been the last month of the year for me.
1: Do you um, ever... Sorry. No um, do you want to talk more about your cough? No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I feel like my cough has lasted longer than like many, many news cycles in this administration. So I feel like I can talk... It's like newsworthy at this point.
1: <laughs> you had to get an inhaler for it. I,
2: yeah. I didn't have to, but am mm-hmm. sick of it.
1: Um. I was gonna so when Sanjay was talking about how like the I don't know if this is what you meant, um, Sanjay, but when you were talking about the sort of transition from like being on this like trip where you're like, you know, in LA and you're like living the high life for three months and then you came back or whatever, I sometimes feel like traveling can um maybe Yeah, make me like emotional in a certain way where I can feel nostalgic both for the like place that I typically live and the place that I visit. Um and so I mean you travel so much, like do you have that that feeling or does it go away no. eventually? Uh
2: I don't think about home very much when I travel. I get I get like this high sometimes when I travel, not everywhere, but there's some places I go where I'm just like, Life just doesn't get better than this. Like mm-hmm. I, I have total freedom. I can just wander around this new city. Um yeah I'll do think like I, I started reading books too while traveling like yeah I just it's an opportunity to reinvent yourself to be like this week while I'm in the Netherlands I'm going to be the kind of person who goes to cafes and reads a book mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like next week I'm in a different country and I'm going to be the kind of person who does this other thing yeah um, and then also I mean for me also I love meeting up with old friends in new places and meeting new friends like I, f- I feel like maybe it's true every year but this year i can it's like really salient to me that i had like really awesome times with old friends in like fun places and met some really awesome people mm-hmm. in the places that i visited and the, yeah those things are just so fun mm-hmm. there's something about being outside for me i think being i love davis i love living in davis but i can get lonely in davis i can't get lonely almost ever when i'm traveling so it's it's a nice buffer against um yeah that like creeping loneliness mm-hmm. that sometimes That's threatens.
1: So strange.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm. It's not that I can't get lonely when I travel, but it's much much harder. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Actually, like I, you know, that that difference that I was talking about is it's not about anything particular to Eugene, Oregon, or to my job here. It's about home and the routines of home, mm-hmm. which you know f- can be sometimes really comforting and really, you know, there can be good things about that. But um, yeah, that sort of sense of like novelty and and sort of just stimulation that comes from being somewhere else.
2: And I think for me, if I'm in Davis, and I want to socialize, and I I can't think of anybody or the people I can think of are busy, I feel lame, I feel disconnected. But if I'm in Australia and there's nobody to hang out with that's nothing on that's nothing bad about my it doesn't reflect badly on my life or my connectedness to people right um I tweet a lot more when I'm traveling too I think I'm just like proactive about fulfilling my social needs whereas I think when I'm in Davis I feel like it should happen naturally and if it's not happening there's something wrong with me or something like that so Mm -hmm. I worry a lot about winter break and holidays because I usually am stuck in Davis because everyone else is doing family stuff so traveling isn't really an option at least to visit friends Um, so yeah, the holidays are like the worst because I'm usually not traveling and everybody is busy with, with people and stuff like that. And then I'm often, there's like, there's my mom and then there's not many other people I can socialize with. So I'm already bracing myself for that, that feeling that I know comes when I'm in Davis for a long time and don't have a lot of social activities. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I could be, I could be in another country for two weeks and barely see anybody. And I don't think I would get lonely 90% of the time.
1: Mm Mm-hmm yeah
2: I don't know maybe that's too optimistic but
1: yeah I sort of I guess I know what you mean like I don't think that I I do get lonely when I travel be, but but uh, yeah maybe it's an expectations thing or something like I spend more time alone sometimes at least I don't know um but it feels like a, like a treat to spend time alone when you're traveling as opposed to like maybe being at home when you just like don't have any plans
2: mm-hmm yeah
0: Well, is that, have we we reviewed our years sufficiently? Does anyone have anything else to add?
1: No, I think I'm done.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you to all of our listeners for uh, listening to us for another year. Um, Hope you enjoyed this episode and hope you've been enjoying the podcast. And uh, until next time, this has been The Black Goat. We'll talk to you next time.